Good morning. Let us stand together and hear from God's word as we read from Revelation 5 together. It'll be on the screens. I'll start, and then we'll have a chance to all respond together as one. Revelation 5 says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, let's say this together, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. We've come this morning in part to make a political statement. And that political statement is that Jesus is king. The lamb is on his throne, and we, his subjects, are to ascribe to him glory, to declare what is true, and to call on all peoples and tribes to come and join us. his name and proclaim his great work sing to the lord to the king lift our song all splendor and majesty to him belong all splendor and majesty to him belong Heavens rejoice and the earth will resound. The world awaits for her king to be crowned. Creation exalts as his hour draws nigh. His justice flows forth from his glory on high. His justice flows forth from his glory on high. His courts, we offer him praise, the King of kings, the ancient of days. Ascribe to the Lord all glory and life. Ascribe to the Lord every people and tribe. Ascribe to the Lord every people and tribe. All creatures in heaven and here down below Worship the Lamb from whom all blessings flow His Spirit, His righteousness reigns from above All those who believe shall be washed by His blood All those who believe shall be washed by His blood King of kings, the ancient of days, ascribe to the Lord all glory and life, ascribe to the Lord every people and tribe, ascribe 
blood he has ransomed from every tribe, nation, and tongue. We'll sing that again. By his blood he has ransomed from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Oh, by his blood he has ransomed from every tribe, nation, and The King of Kings, the Ancient of Days. Ascribe to the Lord all glory and might. Ascribe to the Lord every people and tribe. Oh, ascribe to the Lord every people and We just sang from Psalm 96, which admonishes us to tell of God's salvation day after day. And that's what we desire to do in our songs, in our prayers, in our sermons. And when we are speaking to our neighbors, we want to declare God's grace and his salvation for all who will put their hope in him. You may be seated. Welcome to Desert Springs Church. I am Josiah Bellflower. I'm the missions minister. If you are a guest or, or maybe you've been coming here for years, we're so thankful that you are here. Uh, if you want to reach out to us and ask any questions or find ways you can get more involved, uh, please uh, email us at info at dscabq.com. We would love to hear from you. Well, I'm excited to tell you about one of our gospel partners, CareNet. CareNet is a local ministry that empowers women and men who are considering abortion to choose life and then to find abundant life in Jesus Christ. I think the best way to talk about this is just to share a story from CareNet. Uh, this comes from one of our members who is actively involved there. She said, we had a young lady who came to CareNet for a pregnancy test. She revealed to us that she was in an abusive relationship and that if she was pregnant, her husband would want, not want her to keep the baby. Her pregnancy test was indeed positive, and as she was six weeks pregnant, uh, we were able to offer her an ultrasound and allowed her husband to come as well. Uh, through her ultrasound, we were able to visualize the baby in the uterus measure the baby, and visualize the baby's heartbeat. Mom was very engaged and emotional as she viewed the ultrasound. Her husband kept his sunglasses on the whole time and looked at his phone. Uh, we offered an opportunity to return in two weeks for a second ultrasound to measure the heartbeat. Two weeks later, I received a call from a hotline that receives calls from women who have taken an abortion pill and are wanting to know whether it can be reversed. This particular pill blocks the production of hormones needed to sustain the pregnancy. Without the hor hormone, the mother will miscarry. However, 
a woman who has changed her mind can be uh, prescribed an extra supply of this hormone, and it can negate the efforts of the abortion pill, thereby saving the baby. The hotline provided the name, and it was the same woman who had come in two weeks before, and she was actually scheduled to come in that day. So uh, she came in, and our medical director prescribed the hormone needed to reverse the abortion pill and completed her ultrasound. Through this, she was able to see her baby. We measured the baby's heartbeat, visualized the brain forming, and the little arms and legs. When she saw how much the baby had developed from her last visit, she began crying and said, it is a baby. Afterwards, she talked about how guilty she felt and how sorry she was for taking the abortion pill. She learned that day about her loving and forgiving God, and she accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Amen. We were able to contact a Christian church near her where she lived, and a pastor reached out to her. Today, she is thriving and going to church. Her pregnancy continues, and the baby seems healthy. This is just one of many stories from CareNet. And there are so many ways to get involved. Uh, so uh, if, whether you're a man or a woman or whatever your skill set is, you can get involved. Uh, for more information, please go to our Connection Center, and there's some pamphlets with a list of ways to get involved and how to contact them. So now please join me as I pray for CareNet and for our worship service. God of salvation, we praise you for your work in gospel ministries like CareNet. We pray that you would continue to save the lost through CareNet. We pray for this young woman whose story we heard today. We thank you for her salvation and saving the life of her baby, and we pray for the salvation of her husband. Lord, we also ask that you would use this worship service for your glory as we sing songs of your salvation, as we pray gospel prayers and hear your words of grace preached. We pray that you would be glorified and that everyone here would be left changed. Make us like your son, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand now and join our voices in a corporate confession of sin and a corporate acknowledgement of our need for Jesus. Out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus, I come, Jesus, I come Into thy freedom, gladness and light Jesus, I come to thee Out of my sickness and into thy health Out of my wanting and into thy will Out of my sin to thyself, Jesus, I come to thee. Jesus, I come to thee. Out of my shame for failure and loss, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. Into the glorious gain of thy cross, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of our sorrows and into thy bond, out of 
pray with me. Heavenly Father, on this Lord's Day, it is our privilege to give thanks to you and to pray for other gospel-preaching churches in our city and state. Lord, we are thankful for the fellowship and the partnership that we've enjoyed with uh, churches in our regional chapter of the Gospel Coalition Now over 10 years of quarterly meetings with these brothers, three hours at a time. Lord, we thank you for the brotherhood. We thank you, Lord, for uh, encouragement among the brothers. Lord, we're thankful uh, to be among other gospel-preaching churches. And we, by name, pray for some of them. Lord, we... We thank you and pray for your blessing on City Prez downtown and Christ Church as well and Crossroads Bible Church in Los Alamos and Mountain Christian on the other side of the mountain and Faith Rio Rancho and Christ Church in Santa Fe and Heritage Christian Fellowship. Lord, we're thankful for the partnership and fellowship that we've enjoyed with these and uh, I think some 30 pastors and churches over these years. And we're also, Lord, mindful of other gospel-preaching churches that are not necessarily a part of our regional chapter, but nonetheless, Lord, the gospel is preached, and therein we rejoice, and we ask for your ongoing blessing. For all these churches, Lord, we pray for unity, for peace, for gospel clarity and gospel conviction. We pray that the gospel would go forth and, Lord, you would bless it. We pray for gospel fruit among these churches even on this Sunday. Perhaps today, Lord Jesus, you would build your church by adding to it here in Albuquerque. 
We thank you, Lord, for that great promise. We pray for the preaching of God's word in these churches and not least in our own. We pray for your help, Lord, to to show us your glory and goodness in the gospel of Jesus in the pages of scripture once again. We pray you would speak afresh in just a bit as we open your word. We pray, Lord, you would build your church as you promised you would and as only you can. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let us stand again and share in this testimony of God's grace and salvation through the gospel of Jesus. The grace of God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea. And I am safe on this solid ground. The Lord is my salvation.
Yes, Lord, we know that you are our salvation. We know that our debt is paid and the victory is won because your word has told us. And your word is sure. And we need a sure and lasting word this morning, Lord. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Would you speak through your word to us today for our good and for your glory? Amen. You could be seated. Well, today we begin a new series in the book of Galatians. So turn there if you have a Bible with you. Galatians. If you need help, use the table of contents at the front of your Bible. Galatians is a six-chapter letter from the Apostle Paul to the Galatian Christians in Asia Minor, and it's probably the earliest recorded letter from the Apostle Paul that we have in our Bibles. And what an important letter it is for us. It's important because it addresses what is most important, eternally important, And it's important because it confronts what is most concerning. And that's immediately relevant today for people like us who live in an age when so many matters are thrust before us and we're told that they are of utmost importance. So many things are presented to us as as if, if we don't get this right, If we don't win this issue, it's all over. It's going to hell in a handbasket. Every presidential election, we're told, is the most important presidential election of our lifetime, or sometimes we're told even of American history. Other important issues, religious liberty, important issues, good issues, race matters, COVID restrictions, vaccines, the latest stimulus bill, and not just matters of politics and sociocultural things, but, but personal things. That next job that you're hoping for, that, that raise, that promotion, that grade in a class, students, that, that GPA hoping to get into this or that college. It feels ultimate to us. This girl or guy that you have feelings for, them reciprocating, that, that, that feels ultimate when we're going through it. 
But the Apostle Paul in Galatians, he zeroes us in on what is eternally important, what eternally matters. And what is eternally important is the gospel. The gospel. And so what is most concerning then is to dilute the gospel, to distort the gospel, to twist it, to leave it. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died and was raised in our place for the forgiveness of our sins, a gift that is received through faith or trust, belief, not by earning it. That's what the gospel is. It's good news. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul spoke of the gospel. He said, it is of first importance, this gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and was raised on the third day. That is of first and utmost importance. And Galatians is a book about the gospel through and through. So Galatians is important and extremely relevant for us because it addresses what is most important and it confronts what is most concerning. So over the next few months, we'll camp out in the book of Galatians together. And today we'll start with the first nine verses. Look on in your Bibles as I read from Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Whenever I read Galatians 1 or hear it read, I hear it in the voice of Mr. Hickey. Mr. Hickey was my fifth grade Sunday school teacher at Beacon Baptist Church in Taylor, Michigan. And he taught through Galatians to every fifth grade boys class he got year after year after year. That's all he taught, Galatians. It was no frills, it was just Galatians. And he began every Sunday school class by reading from verse 1 of chapter 1 up to his passage for that Sunday. Then the next week, he'd begin again at chapter 1, verse 1, and then read to his passage for that Sunday. So those in the Sunday school class inevitably memorized the early verses of Galatians simply by hearing it read by Mr. Hickey over and over and over again. 
And I can't tell you too much about any other Sunday school classes I had in my primary grade years, but I can tell you that in fifth grade, by way of Mr. Hickey's example, I learned something about being tied to the Bible and, uh, and being blood earnest about what the Bible says, not least in Galatians. We can break down our passage into three parts, three headings, three C words, if you like. The first is calling. Verse 1 and 2 show us divine calling. Paul, it says, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul was an apostle, not by his own doing, not by the doing of any man or human institution, but by God. That word apostle just means sent one. And really, there's a sense in which the New Testament speaks of apostles in kind of a lowercase a sense, and then other apostles in a capital A sense. So in a lowercase sense, you could think of Epaphroditus, who in Philippians, Paul says he was a messenger, a sent one from the Philippians to the apostle Paul to bring him funds on the mission field. Well, he's a An apostle, a small a apostle. But Paul is obviously referring to himself in a more official sense than that because he's not a mere messenger. He's not sent out merely by a church. Yes, he and Barnabas in Acts 13 were sent out by the Antioch church on their first missionary journey. But big things happened before that that had nothing to do with Antioch and they had to do with the Lord Jesus in that encounter on the road to Damascus, which, well, Paul will talk about that in our next passage for next week, and so we'll leave it for there. But Paul was a capital A apostle, just like the 12 that Jesus appointed in the gospel accounts. There were criteria for this kind of apostleship. One would be that you were personally tapped by Jesus to represent him in this official sense. And secondly, that you had seen the risen Lord Jesus bodily with your own eyes. So Paul, in 1 Corinthians 9, and again in chapter 15, he makes this connection that he had seen the risen Lord Jesus, and therefore he is a legitimate, capital A, apostle. By the way, that's why there aren't capital A apostles today. There can't be. Because the criteria is direct appointment from Jesus and having seen him bodily risen from the dead. So today there are no self-appointed apostles and there is nothing in the New Testament that even hints at what some call apostolic succession. Where from Peter it's passed along this authority, Pope to Pope to Pope to Pope. Or in some church circles, bishops to bishops to bishops to bishops. There's nothing of the sort found in the New Testament. Because by very nature, the apostles were first-generation representatives of Jesus. They were eyewitnesses. 
Ephesians 2, verse 20, tells us that the church has been built upon the foundation of prophets and apostles, Jesus being the cornerstone. And so apostolic authority is passed along generation to generation, not man to man or bishop to bishop or pope to pope. Apostolic authority has been passed along in the apostolic writings of the New Testament. And I think Paul is subtly hinting at that right up front. His apostolic calling, as he says, was not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ. And so it follows that his message is not from men, not through men but from Jesus Christ and God the Father. So his gospel, as you'll say in the section that follows, we'll see next week, his gospel is not from men. He didn't get it from men. It wasn't man-made. It wasn't of his own. In fact, this letter that he writes, it can be said as well, it's true of this letter that it is not from men nor through men, but from and through Jesus and God the Father. Therefore, the Galatians should pay careful attention to what Paul has written to them here. They can trust it. His analysis of what's going on in their churches is not one man's opinion. It's not from men or through men. It is from God and Jesus. And the implication for us today is that we should give attention to Galatians and other epistles written by Paul and the whole New Testament and the whole Bible. So how are you doing with that? We live in a day and age in which we can have Bibles. Most of us have Bibles on our phones, in our homes, perhaps even right now on your lap. Many of us have multiple copies and multiple translations of the Bible. Most of us have internet access where there is Bible aplenty. The, the, the most handy thing I use Google search engine for is vague Bible References Like, I'll know a part of a verse, and, and I just can just type that in, and I'm not the first person, and up comes the reference. It's easier sometimes than Bible software. We live in an age where we don't wait week to week, meeting to meeting with the church to hear God's word. We have it. Are we using it? you're not currently reading the Bible with a plan and purpose in mind, if you don't have a, a schedule, a routine, you don't know where you are in your Bible reading right now, well, let me recommend one option for Bible reading uh, schedule and plan. Take one of these gospel, rather, one of these epistles, like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the shorter epistles. Read one per day, and read that same one every day for a week. If six chapters is too much for you, then break it in half. Do one through three on Monday and do four through six on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, go back one through three. And then on Thursday, go four through six. Work your way through a book like Galatians. And if you say, 
Why would I read the same book over and over and over again in a short span of time, close together like this? If you ask that question, it's proof you need to do this because you haven't yet discovered the unplummetable depths of God's Word and how God's Word speaks afresh to us when we read it again and again and again. So I encourage that method of Bible reading to you, especially while we're in the book of Galatians. The second C is content. There is gospel content that Paul deals with in verses 3 to 5. Before getting to a gospel concern in this final C section, and really that concern will stretch through the whole letter, he first establishes gospel content right up front. Verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. This is Paul's favorite two-word summary of the gospel. Grace and peace. And each of those words is power-packed. Grace. Maybe you know that acronym for grace, G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. God's riches to us at Christ's expense upon the cross. So here is the means of the gospel. This is how God accomplishes this good news. It is by his grace, as opposed to some method of seeking to earn it. It's grace. It's a gift. And that's why it's good news. He has done it. We only receive it. And it is grace through and through. It is grace from top to bottom. Salvation is of the Lord, as it says in the book of Jonah. God's grace isn't him topping off whatever we contribute. It's not him fixing merely whatever we've done wrong while we still rest in what we've done right. No, it's grace through and through, grace from top to bottom, and it's grace which results in peace. Peace, that's the result of grace, peace. And it's multifaceted. Think of at least three levels or kinds of peace that the gospel brings. It brings peace with God as we're reconciled to him, as he doesn't count our sins against us anymore. Peace with God, finally. That's what the gospel brings. Peace with others, it also brings especially with those who have peace with God. Peace with God, peace with others, and peace within. Peace within. The gospel cleanses our consciences. God's grace washes us white. Not just washing us of our guilt, but but beginning to wash even the feelings of guilt. We have freedom in Christ in the gospel of grace. Now, grace and peace are what we have already as Christians, but grace and peace here are what Paul bids these Christians to have more of. Do you see that? Grace to you and peace from God. 
He's bidding this upon them. This is a blessing of sorts. It's a small prayer of a kind. And if you say, well, how is it that God's grace would be more among these Galatians if they already have it? Well, it's, it's more and more realized throughout the Christian life. We realize God's grace and appreciate it more and more. Peace is more and more understood and enjoyed and spread. And so Paul prays, he he bids them, he blesses them, grace to you and peace from God. They already have it, but like all Christians, they need more of it, and Paul prays that for them. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, notice verse 4, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us. Now at Desert Springs Church, we refer to a verse like this sometimes as a gospel nugget. A gospel nugget. A gospel nugget is a a verse or two that has enough gospel content and clarity to it that someone who's not yet a Christian could read that verse or two alone and, and be saved by what they have learned in that verse or two alone. And verse 4 is a gospel nugget. I'd encourage you to be on the look for gospel nuggets in your Bible reading. I'd encourage you to mark them in your Bibles, as I have in my Bible, many have in this room. We've put GN when we come across these things uh, in our Bibles so that we can spot them, so that we know them. We need to memorize them. We need to meditate upon them. We need to have handy various biblical quick descriptions of the gospel that can be really helpful in witnessing to someone who doesn't yet know these things and, again, meditating on these things for our own soul's good. So meditate on this with me. Notice how in verse 4, every word is significant and loaded with meaning. Like that word gave. Gave. It's a gift. It reminds us of John 3.16. For God so loved that he gave his son. There the father gave the son. In our passage, Jesus gave Himself. You see that word, himself. He gave himself not only a gift, but a costly gift. It's referring to the cross. He gave his life. He gave himself for. Oh, that word for. It implies substitution. In our place. In our place condemned he stood. Hallelujah. What a savior. He gave himself for our sins. Not just for us in some abstract sense. Not just as an expression of love vaguely understood. He gave himself upon the cross for our sins. For our guilt. For our payment. And he gave himself, it says, to deliver us. You see that? Deliver us. That should remind us of the Exodus story where God delivered his people from slavery and bondage in Egypt. He was the rescuer, the redeemer. And we have been delivered by Christ. We've been delivered from, what should it say next? 
Imagine the Apostle Paul is asking for your input. To deliver us from, what should I put next, he says. And you might say, deliver us from sin. Or deliver us from guilt. Or deliver us from condemnation. Or deliver us from God's righteous wrath. And all those would be true. There are verses that say essentially that. But here he says to deliver us from the present evil age. Now that's probably a concept that many of us, even if we've been Christians for a while, we don't fully understand. It might help to think of verses and language that we're more familiar with. Like in John 17 when Jesus prayed for us and he said, Father, I don't pray that you would take them out of the world, but that you'd keep them from the evil one. We summarize Jesus' prayer in John 17 often as Christians should be in the world, but not of it. So there the world is a way of describing, well, a realm Kind of like in Colossians 1, where it says that we've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. Domain, kingdom. Those might be more familiar ways of thinking about what has changed with the coming of Christ in the gospel. Or 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man is in Christ, he is a, a what? A new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. The world, a domain, a kingdom, a new creation. And similarly is this language of age. So Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 can speak of Satan as the God of this age. Or in 2 Timothy 4, he can speak of Demas, who has deserted Paul, having loved this present, most translations say world, but really it's age, having loved this present age. That's why he left the mission field and perhaps left Christ. Romans 12 speaks similarly. Don't be conformed to, literally, to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. You see, Christ came to usher in a new age. And this new age is kind of a now and not yet thing. One day that new age will be consummated. It will be all in all. A a whole new heaven and a new earth coming as one, according to Revelation 21 and 22. That's the new age in its fullness, but we taste of it as Christians even now. That's the language of Hebrews 6. We've tasted of the powers of the age to come. We've been delivered from this present evil age even while we still live in it. So get this, Christian. Put this in your pocket and pull it out often to remind yourself that Jesus died to deliver you from the bondage of this present evil age. You don't have to think and feel like the world does any longer. You don't have to freak out like the world does. You're not of it. You're in it, yes. You're affected by some things, sure. But you're not in it and of it like the world is of it. 
He's redeemed us, delivered us from this present evil age. All of this was according to the will of our God and Father, verse 4 tells us. From eternity past to eternity future, it was all in the mind of God, according to his will and good purposes, for our good and for his glory. A glorious plan it is. And to him goes all the glory. You see verse 5. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Of course to him goes the glory. Because it's all his doing. It's all of grace. It is Jesus that gave himself to deliver us. He's done the work. So he gets the credit. 1 Corinthians 1, there Paul says, God saves in such a way that no flesh can glory in itself. No one can take credit for any of it because of the way God saves from beginning to end, through and through. It's all of grace. It's all to his glory. And now we come to this third C, and it is a dire concern. Paul has to get to this, and he gets to it rather quickly compared to his other letters. Verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, it is normally at this point in one of Paul's letters that Paul has a section of thankfulness for that church, and a longish prayer of blessing for that church. And that isn't here in Galatians. Even among those goofy Corinthians, Paul has this section of thankfulness in prayer right after his greeting and blessing. But not here with the Galatians. Too much is at stake. The matter is so urgent, he gets right to it. I am astonished. I am shocked. I am Appalled. The Galatian Christians apparently had heard from Paul and his colleagues this glorious gospel of grace, of Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. They seem to have embraced the gospel. There are now churches, plural, in Galatia. But since Paul and his colleagues were there with the gospel, some false teachers had come to town and they taught a kind of gospel which is a distortion of the gospel, verse 7 says. It's a, a different gospel, he says in verse 6, but then he clarifies in verse 7 that there really is no other gospel. There's only one gospel, but it's a so-called gospel. It's a gospel in air quotes that these false teachers have been promoting. And we learn from later in the letter that these preachers of a different gospel, they had said, Galatians, yes, believe in Jesus. We, we, we don't discount that one bit. Yes, everything Paul told you about this Jesus is true. Everything about the gospel is right, and you were right to hear it and believe it. But, they said, as Gentiles, you must essentially become Jewish before you're 
qualified for this Jewish Messiah. And so they required of Gentiles circumcision and obedience to the food laws as qualification, prerequisites for this gospel of grace. And the Galatian Christians, Paul says, had been buying into this. They were in danger of, as it says in verse 6, deserting him. Notice, not just the gospel, but it's personalized. Deserting him who called you. They've turned to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. They have distorted the true gospel, verse 7. This word distort means to twist in a way that makes it unrecognizable and unusable. I thought of that word this week when my wife pulled a, a blanket out of the dryer. You know those blankets you have around the couch for watching movies, and we've got a, a, an assortment of those kind of blankets. One is like a, a two-ply blanket, but unlike you know quilts that are sewn together all the way through, this is just two-ply sewn together at the edges. And my wife, as she was disentangling this, well, this knot of a blanket knotted up like, you know, Christmas lights from 25 years ago. She said, yeah, this blanket does this. It, it, it expands in the dryer like a sopapilla, and then it gets all twisted up. And, and I couldn't even tell it was a blanket. It, it was unusable, unrecognizable. It was distorted. The only true gospel is a grace gospel. Peace comes through grace and grace alone. Christ gave himself for our sins, period. End of story. Full stop. And if you add anything of your own doing to the equation, you've lost it. You've twisted it. It's another gospel which is no gospel. As Christians, we don't do good to be accepted by God. We do good because we have been accepted by God, by grace, on account of Christ. Jesus has done it all. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is the classic passage. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the work of God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. And yes, Paul goes on to talk about he has created us as his workmanship for good works. But good works follow. Good works are the result of God's free grace, not the requirement for his grace. And if good works of any kind are a requirement, a prerequisite for God's grace, then it's no longer grace, and it's no longer good news. Paul talks about this in Romans 4. He says there's a, a working system, and then there's a believing system. With work, you get a wage. You earned it. That's how it works. That's one system. But the gospel system is not one where we work and earn and get because we've worked, but we get because we believe, we rest, 
We trust. We actually give up relying on ourselves in what we can offer. The question is, what are you trusting in? What are you standing upon? What are you commending to God in view of your soul? That old hymn, Rock of Ages, sure helps us. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. We're that helpless, and he's that gracious. That's why the solas of the Reformation were so important. Sola is Latin for alone. And so the Reformers spoke of sola gratia. Salvation is by grace alone. Sola fide. It is through faith alone. Solus Christus. In Christ alone. Sola Scriptura, as revealed in the Scriptures alone. In all of this is sola Deo Gloria to the glory of God alone. Those alones matter. It was on that one word, sola or alone, that the Reformers parted from the Roman Catholic Church. And by necessity, it can't be both alone and not alone. Either it's grace alone or it's grace in something that you bring to the table. And when Martin Luther was pressed, are you saying we bring nothing to the table of our salvation? He said, yes, indeed, we bring our sin. That's what we bring. To this day, the official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church and Eastern Orthodoxy, by the way, the official teaching is that salvation is not an alone, only, sola kind of thing. It's an and kind of thing. It's faith and our works. That's not to say that someone couldn't be a true Christian and identify with the Roman Catholic Church or Eastern Orthodoxy, but they would be a true Christian in spite of their church's official teaching. In fact, every other religion is that kind of religion of one sort or another. It's an and religion. You name it, every religion except the gospel of Christ is not an alone kind of religion, but you bring something to the table. You do your part. Oh, oh God will clean up what you did wrong, and he will add to what you didn't do to, to, to make it enough. But, but you got to do. you got to work. you got to contribute. That's no gospel. It doesn't matter if it's 1% that we contribute in light of God's 99. It's no gospel if it's not alone. 
grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone. And we do no one any favors to muddy the waters here and say, oh, close enough. At least you've got some room for grace. At least you acknowledge that we're sinners and we need God's grace. Good enough. Potato, potato. Let's not get too picky. Who are we to judge? Well, Paul would have you judge. Paul would have you know what is the gospel and is not the gospel for your own soul, for the soul of others, for the good of your church, and for the glory of Christ's name in the world. If you're not yet a Christian, we hold this free gospel out to you. And I say to you, when will you give up trying? When will you give up trying to earn your way to God? Haven't you failed? Haven't you come to the end of your rope? Haven't you learned it's not enough? Aren't you sick of picking yourself up by your bootstraps once again, as if this time is the one that's really going to stick? You need grace. And Jesus offers grace through and through, from top to bottom, grace for you. And you simply come to believe it and trust in it and confess it to him. You simply say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he will. And if you will not believe that, well, there is a very stern word here in verse 8 and 9 that Paul has for those who teach this other gospel. And by extension, those who believe it. Let them be accursed. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul uses the strongest terms possible, referring to eternal damnation. Paul uses repetition to make his point crystal clear. So now I say again, in case you thought perhaps that the first time I said it was me losing my temper, flying off the handle, saying something that's a little too far. No, I say it again. And Paul uses an extreme hypothetical scenario to make his point. Even if we, the apostolic team, the ones you heard the true gospel from, even if we come back to Galatia with a different gospel, don't take it. You say, anathema, accursed, to hell with you. Even if an angel from heaven shows up with the announcement of this different gospel, it's unthinkable. It's impossible. But even if, even if an angel shows up with all that glorious, heavenly, angelic majesty, if he's got a different gospel, you say, to hell with that. No. Don't buy it. It doesn't matter who the messenger is. The message is greater than the messenger. The message is not validated by the messenger. Not even apostles or angels validate 
this message. No, the messengers are validated by this message. Christian, know this gospel. Know it well. Know these gospel nuggets given to us in our Bibles, these glorious summaries of the gospel. It is true that the secret service are trained to spot counterfeit money by handling the real stuff. I checked with one of our secret, former secret service agents in between services, and he told me it takes months and months of handling and learning and studying the real currency to then be able to spot the very best counterfeits. Let's know the gospel through and through. Let's know it well. Let's talk of it freely and clearly. Let's pass it on to our kids. Let's tell it to the world with great passion. Let's be willing to identify different gospels that are out there. Let's be willing to say, close but no cigar. It is loving to be concerned about and even confront those who haven't yet come to believe the biblical gospel, and to confront those brothers and sisters who perhaps are beginning to be tempted by another gospel. Warn them. Take courage like Paul did and say the hard thing. And perhaps God would keep them in the true gospel. And as for you, hold to that true gospel, cling to it, don't desert it, don't stick with, uh, stick with it, don't mingle other things in than Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, to the glory of God alone. You see, the possibility of a professing Christian believing a false gospel is a real possibility. Not true Christians, but professing Christians. It's possible for them to believe another gospel than the one they seem to have embraced at first. This is why Galatians exists. This is the four soils. Remember that parable? Remember that two of the four soils show us a response to the gospel that at first looks promising, but proves to be false and not lasting. Professing Christians, turning away from the true gospel is all too real. I've been a pastor long enough to know some stories. You probably know of some too. And it's astonishing, isn't it? To have come, it appeared to come to believe the biblical gospel, to understand it to seem to enjoy it and enjoy its privileges and to turn away from it, it's, it's astonishing. So may God keep us. And may we do our part to keep believing. Those who are true Christians keep believing, so keep believing. And keep fleeing any confidence that you might have in your own doing. And here's where this strikes pretty close to home for many of us. I know it does for me. In the past week, you may not have been tempted to overtly and officially embrace a gospel that 
trusts in your own works. But most of us have at times in this last week, we've acted like that. We have felt like that. Our ups and downs with the Lord often seem to ride on our performance and our failures. When do you feel most loved by God? Isn't it when you're doing pretty good? You know, you're reading the Bible pretty consistently. You're praying to God pretty freely and naturally. You feel his love. And part of that is natural. It's part of more communion with the Lord. That makes sense. But part of it has to be that we feel like his smile or his frown rides up and down based on our performance. We think that he looks at us and what we do as the basis for acceptance with him. And it's not. It's Christ. It's Christ alone from beginning to end. So keep fleeing any confidence in the flesh. Martin Luther said that we are by nature hopelessly meritorious. All of us, by nature. Humankind is hopelessly trusting in and commending to God our merits. We have a merit-based system. It's natural, but the gospel is a different system. And the gospel sets us aright on what we can trust in, but that hopeless meritoriousness, it dies a slow death, doesn't it, Christian? And we learn today, once again, that the gospel is still for Christians. The gospel of God's grace, of Jesus delivering us from our guilty conscience and from this present evil age. It's all of grace through and through. And so we trust him. And this is what is ultimate. This Desert Springs Church is what we must be about. This is what we must keep talking about. This is what we must keep rehearsing and never getting sick of. This is what we want to fan the flame of in our hearts and in our minds and with each other and to each other. The gospel. It's what unites us. Whatever else divides us, whatever differences there may be, this is what unites us, and it unites us so deeply and so permanently, so eternally. So this is what we will devote our efforts to. This is what we will keep talking about, and this is what we will keep pushing and pushing and pushing until Jesus comes and finishes this great gospel of grace in our lives. Let's pray. Oh, what a glorious gospel you have communicated to us, Lord. We thank you for grace. Oh, Lord, forgive us for every time we've thought too little of your grace, for every time we've taken it for granted, and for every time time, Lord, that we've trusted in an inch, a millimeter, an ounce of our own righteousness as a means of getting right with you. We thank you for the unchanging gospel of your grace in Jesus. And we thank you that it is a permanent grace. We thank you for the great promise that 
you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. Today, afresh, Lord, we rest in Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Let us stand and respond. He will hold us fast. He will hold us tight. He will hold us close. He will hold us forever. He will hold us.
completely. Do you have that kind of hope, that kind of surety, that kind of confidence? Can you say that today? If not, why not? What are you trusting in? Give up on it. Cling to Christ and Him alone. He's far better than anything else you could cling to or trust in. Haven't you learned that so far? That's what it means to become a Christian. You give up on all other attempts to commend yourself to God and you trust completely and solely in Christ and what he did on that cross. If you're not there yet, if you've got questions, if you're not sure how to move from where you are now to becoming a Christian, we would love to visit with you. We would love to counsel you. We would love to answer your questions. I'll be up front and others will be as well after the service and we would love to talk to you. Or feel free to email us at info at dscabq.com or call the church office during normal office hours to talk to one of our pastors. Let us know how we can help you. Christian, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I don't know what kind of surprises are on the horizon. I do know the, the world will continue to say this thing is ultimate, this thing's a deal breaker, this thing's a fork in the road. Oh no, if this happens... And I know none of it is most important. The gospel is of utmost importance for our souls. And that gospel will not change. Whatever else will change tomorrow, whatever bad news might come in the next year, whatever bad news has come in the previous year, the gospel doesn't change. And it is our sure and only hope. And it is our message. I close with this blessing from Paul in Romans 16. Toward the end of the great letter to the Romans, he says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, this gospel which has now been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God, to the only wise God be glory forevermore. Through Jesus Christ, amen.